Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, the founder of Covey Club, and I'm here with somebody who is just a breath of fresh air when it comes to being an entrepreneur. And her name is Lisa Laurie, and she runs a wonderful store that you need to go see in Greenwich, Connecticut. You can also find it online, but it is wonderful to go to. It is kind of like, I call it a mini Colette. Colette is the groovy fashion place started by the editor-in-chief of Italian Vogue that was in Paris for many years. It closed recently, but it had all the grooviest, coolest new clothes, and then it had gadgets and trinkets and food and beauty and all that. And if you can imagine that all boiled down into a personal shop, that's what Perfect Provenance is um, done by Lisa. And we have a wonderful discussion uh, with her all about how she started out in PR and ended up being terribly inspired by one of her bosses, Anita Roddick, who ran the body shop, which is where she worked for a long time. Then she went over to Edelman PR, and then she ended up working for IFF, the International Fragrances Company, uh, which became huge, but she started out there when they weren't huge. And her wild, crazy life of traveling the world and doing PR for all the names of people that and products that you now know, but at that time were nothing. And how she ended up having to change her life a lot because, because she was suddenly in her 30s diagnosed with a autoimmune disease that required her to rethink everything. And yet she got back on her feet, got remarried, had kids, um, and now runs this beautiful shop um, in Greenwich, Connecticut. And it's just one of the most enthusiastic, upbeat people and she has a wonderful family, a wonderful husband, and is just a great all-around person. So I hope that you will enjoy this discussion that we're about to have with the wonderful Lisa Laurie of Perfect Provenance. So hello, Lisa Laurie. How are you today? Hi, Leslie. How are you? I'm very good. Good. Awesome. Well, I want to talk about your reinvention and I think you've had a dramatic reinvention that had to do with family. So maybe want to start back with, you know, what, how you got to your reinvention and your wonderful store, Perfect Providence in Greenwich, Connecticut, which everybody should go see. It's amazing. Phenomenal fashion, phenomenal food, phenomenal everything. But how did you <laughs> get there? How did you get there? And, and let's go back to, you know, like, where'd you grow up? Where did you... What did you start doing, and then how did you segue over? Right, right. Um, okay, well, my path has certainly not been a straight one. It's had a lot of curves and edges to it. Um, I grew up in Northern California in the Bay Area, and uh, I, when I went to go away to college, I um, decided to go to Purdue University in Indiana, which was great and a lot of fun. Um, but when I was in college, my family, my father um, had worked his whole career at a big company and that company got sold and he wasn't ready to retire. So he took a job in New Jersey. And when I was in the middle of college, my parents moved to New Jersey, which I was very upset about at the time. And as a, you know, as like a 19, 20 year old girl. So I didn't really know anyone in New Jersey. So I said to them, well, I'm going to get an internship in New York City so that I can meet some people. And I was 
um, an English major actually, but I was studying public relations and marketing and advertising, and I wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go in. Um, PR was still a, a very new thing at that time to study as a as a college. Uh, it wasn't even a major at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was new. So I got a job um, at a PR firm called DAY Public Relations, which was uh, the large, the oldest and probably the largest food PR organi- um, organization at that time. And I went to work there in the summer, uh, right on 57th Street at 40 West 57th Street. And uh, I was sort of a, at that point, a country girl in the big city. And I fell in love with Manhattan and I loved it. I went back to work there every summer at college. And after school, they offered me a job. After that, they had been, um, while I was at college, they had been acquired by Ogilvy and Mather um, Public Relations, and so it became Ogilvy and Mather PR. Um, So I was part of an even uh, bigger worldwide organization, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And it had everything I loved. I loved writing. I loved doing special events. I loved traveling. Um, I traveled quite a bit. Um, I was working as part of the General Foods corporate PR team, and so we worked on the Calgary Winter Olympics. I did a lot of um, sports-related things. I worked um, on, you know, inspirational programs that helped um, women who wanted, you know, who wanted to become athletes and to aspire to bigger things. And so I really got all of the um, elements of PR, and I never looked back. I had friends in the city at the time who were doing advertising, and I decided that that wasn't for me. Um, And so I was really out on the road a lot. And from there, I got uh, another PR job at another public relations firm called Ruder Finn. Um, And I took a job in a group that was more Epicurean, which was really the direction I was going in at that point. So that really focused on food and travel, um, luxury, and that was sort of all the finer things, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And at every job I had, especially in the beginning, I was really fortunate um, because later down the line, it wasn't always that case. But my first two jobs, I had really great bosses that were very supportive. And, you know, I always say to people now that are asking my advice, younger people, I always tell them, you know, it's so important that you have a boss that's more ambitious than you are because. If your if your boss can't be ambitious for themselves, they're not going to mm. be ambitious for you, you know, Good because point. they won't help bring you along and want great things for you. And mm. I find that when people are not that way, they tend to be negative and mm-hmm. and think that you know you can't do that or you're too young or whatever. Um, mm. And so I had young, very ambitious bosses, which. You know, I will say is maybe that's partly just New York City. You know, you have a lot of ambitious people in New York City and they really make you feel like you can do anything. And that's not true everywhere necessarily. Um, But it certainly was, you know, in the late 80s um, in New York City at that time. And so I, you know, just blossomed in that. I had, you know, I had never, I ended up working on things that I had never even thought that would be possible you know Mm -hmm. I remember one of the first things I did was have to call like a list to 
get people's RSVPs. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm calling Vogue magazine right now. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, like, I, and all I was doing was calling saying, are you coming to this press conference or whatever it was? But um, I really, that really um, opened up my eyes to that, you know, um, things don't need to be mysterious or just for a select few. Like if you really want something, you can go for it. That, you know, there are people just like me who are out, mm-hmm. you know, accomplishing things. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really great. And then every job that I had, I always tried to, um, well, I always loved being part of a team, which is very uh, PR oriented. And mm-hmm. um, each, each job I had um, to this day, I still, uh, either use, you know, references from those jobs or I still mm-hmm. work with those people and collaborate. And um, at that second job, I um, met, uh, I worked on an account called Tyrac, which was a London-based uh, specialty retailer. And that, um, that company had a PR firm in the UK that had a woman named who ran it. And she I met her on several occasions, you know, when they would come over to talk about USPR. Mm-hmm. And I met my counterpart over there, um, which was a guy named Martin Evans. And so they left their, their agency in the UK to go run. Um, the woman who ran that agency went to go run the body shop um, chief, oh. as chief marketing officer. Yeah. And so uh, she was best friends with Anita Roddick, uh, who founded the body shop. And so when the, when the body shop was, it was already in America, it had opened a few stores, they wanted someone to run their field marketing, they luckily thought of me. Uh, and I was very young at the time, I was 25 years old, I think. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was great. And the body shop was a very young, forward thinking, progressive company. Um, so I took that job and I got to see even more of the country. And, it, you know, at the time that I was there, it grew to whatever it was at the time, 250 stores. Mm. And I got to spend a lot of time with Anita Roddick. I, mm. I did her speaking schedule. I handled her book tour. Um, so I spent a lot of time with her and she literally transformed the way I thought my life, what it meant to be a woman in business. Um, what it meant to be a woman and have a family, mm-hmm. um, as well as her best friend, Jilly, who I really was reporting to, uh, ultimately. Uh, up to that point, I had always thought, okay, you work for a while, and then if you want to get married and have kids, you're going to have to give that up, because I didn't have a lot of examples. And I don't, in my generation, you didn't see a lot of super successful women who also had families, who also had intact marriages. Um, and so I, just being around them and being around the way they thought, which is, which was always, why can't we do that? You know, cause I, I, as the young person was always like, Oh, you can't say that you shouldn't do that. And I thought, hang on now I'm the 25 year old mm-hmm. and I'm such a prisoner of my conventions. And here are these 50 year old women who are killing it and they don't care what people think. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of us can say that. And, and it wasn't, not caring about people, what people think in a harmful way, but in a, why can't we try this? So Mm -hmm. for instance, when she came out against animal testing on cosmetics, you know, the cosmetic business went crazy. um, So that, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. And, and yet 
then they would just hire her or have her do more speeches because people were hungry at that time for that kind of provocative Mm -hmm. behavior, you know? Um, And so that's really where I got the retail bug um, that changed my life, you know, today, which is, um, you know, she used to call it business as unusual, you know, if something's not working, okay, well, then we've got to change it and switch back and do this. And, um, and if, or if you really love something and you want to think about doing that, don't always rely on data. Don't always rely on market research because Mm. that is the death of entrepreneurialism, you know? Um, yeah, she really felt that way. She used to have this whole thing about, she would never hire anyone who went to business school. She felt that business school schools were not for entrepreneurs. Oh, how And then of course we, we would go speak at every business school and the people would get up and clap and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. But, um, yeah. And that was before Silicon Valley when people routinely now they'll go to business school for one year and they'll drop out and start an incredible company, you know, like that right. kind of thing. But in the, in those days, that was the path, you know, and, um, where did you go so from that, body shop then? How many years were you at body so, shop? So I was there about four years and then I ended up, um, moving back to the West coast. Um, I, I, I got married very young and it was sort of, you know, um, a quick mistake, uh, that I quickly, um, knew that I needed to unravel, but of course getting divorced was, traumatic at the time. And so I moved back to California to where I had grown up. I had got a job at, um, well, at first I stayed with the body shop and I continued to work there. Um, and then I decided I wasn't meeting enough people in back in San Francisco. So I took a job as a vice president for Edelman public relations out of San mm-hmm. Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really missed New York city at that time and I needed to start my life over and, I came out to New York for a business trip and I, um, I, I went back and I, uh, I went back to San Francisco and I got a call for, from a recruiter who said, we have this incredible job. We know you don't want to move, but, um, it was for a company called international flavors and fragrances. And Mm -hmm. it was working for the chairman of the company and running their PR and advertising worldwide. And for people who don't know what that what that is, it's, it's the largest perfumery in the world and flavor company. And it sort of had everything that I really loved at that time, which was luxury and fragrance and fashion. And, uh, it was a lot of international travel. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of, you know, I, in each of my jobs, I always had at least 30% of my job where I was learning something new. And so in that, at that time I had never done investor relations and Mm -hmm. I thought that was something good for me to know how to do. And and so I jumped right in. Um, And, and, and every time I've done that, while you're obviously so nervous to do those things, you know, I, I don't consider myself a expert in finance by any measure. Um, It obviously demystifies it for you. You're like, okay, this isn't, Mm -hmm. They're not asking me to be the CFO. They're asking me to, you know, develop incredible reports and, mm-hmm. you know, market the company and all of those things. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I started going to Europe all the time. Um, and I, so I developed a lot of friendships um, in Europe. Mm-hmm. A lot of the friendships that today helped me launch my store because we carry so many products from around the world. Um, and th- those are those are invaluable to me. And that's really what the essence of the perfect provenance is 
about. It's about finding unique items from all over the world that you can't find every day um, mm-hmm. in your local town or, or whatever. And a lot of those things were born out of those European adventures that I had as, as a young person. Um, and I met my husband back here in New York and uh, we got married. And um, now I've been married for 20 plus years and have three sons, um, three teenage boys. Mm-hmm. And um, after IFF, I took a job as head of PR for uh, Absolute Vodka, um, which mm-hmm. was an exciting time. I, I worked for Seagram Americas. We mm-hmm. launched a lot of things. We did Absolute Tom Ford, Absolute Gucci, when Tom Ford was just, you know, the be-all, mm-hmm. end-all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned a lot from that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then and then I had to take a step back because mm-hmm. I was diagnosed from an, with an autoimmune disease. Uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, part of the reinvention. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard because I was really at sort of the top of my game there. I was doing, you know, making a really good living. I had just gotten married um, and I was diagnosed with something called myasthenia gravis, mm-hmm. which was debilitating and, and had no mm-hmm. cure for it. Ugh. And so I really had to rethink mm-hmm. my approach to life and who I was if I didn't mm-hmm. have my career in New York. And that was very, that was a very difficult, dark period for me. And um, how old were you about then? I was 33, mm-hmm. which is very typical for autoimmune diseases. A lot of women are diagnosed during that time. So whether it's MS mm-hmm. or lupus, things like that, that's a very typical time. So what did you do? So what I did was I first took time off because I had to, to recover. Mm-hmm. And during that sort of quiet period. Um, I didn't publicize it a lot that I was sick. Of course, the people that I had recently worked with knew. Mm-hmm. And that job that I had had in San Francisco at Edelman PR, I had met, you know, several really nice people through work. Mm-hmm. And even though I didn't work there a very long, a year and a half, that was when Silicon Valley exploded and became, mm-hmm. and the internet became a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I started having people, very young people, but former, you know, colleagues or friends calling me saying, you know, I just took a job for this startup. Mm-hmm. We need PR. You're in New York. Can mm-hmm. you help us? Okay. And yeah. And once again, work, you know, really saved me. And I said, well, you know, I can't go to meetings, et cetera. Well, all these companies were based in San Francisco, so it didn't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. So they said, no, no, we just need you to make phone calls and, you know, get us some press, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that's how I did. I would start out, you know, I think, you know, a a few months after my illness and surgery and a lot of other things, and I had gotten on, you know, sort of a regiment where I could do something, I started working, you know, five hours a week, and it was Mm -hmm. 10. Mm -hmm. And that grew to the point where I had um, a company that went on that was called Della and James that went on to become WeddingChannel.com, which was, which is a Condé Nast company. Um, I didn't know this. Oh my yeah, God, it was called yeah. Della, D-E-L-L-A? It was called Della and James. And it was started by two women who had dropped out of Stanford Business School. Uh-huh. Like uh, one of them uh, started, um, oh gosh, what's the jewelry company? The uh, the big jewelry company now that everyone does. The um, Oh, I'll think of it. Yeah, um, sorry. She's a huge, she now runs a billion dollar company. But anyways, these two women, Stella and um, Dot. Started, 
Yeah, that's yeah, the founder of Stella. That so those are oh, my so clients. Oh, so is this is this clients. Della and James or Stella and James? No, De- it was Della and James. Oh, and then they she owned a company. Della and Dot later, <laughs> which is later and lo- later because you know most entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Her business partner Jenny started okay. this company, Dell and James, and it was a wish. It was a, a wish list company. That was a big okay. thing. Okay. And it was successful. And Condé Nast wanted to get into that space, and they mm-hmm. ended up buying the company, and it became wow. Wedding Channel. Wow. And we okay. we did the announcement, the whole thing. But that, but Dell and James helped me start my company because they called me up and said, oh. you know, San Francisco was such an entrepreneurial place at the time. They were like, well, when are you going to start your company? And I, oh. and I'm like, you know, I'm operating out of my apartment, you know, like, you know, I have to go to sleep every five hours because I have mm-hmm. a, I had a disease that made me tired. And I'd be like, well, mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> you know, and uh, and they were like, well, we'll be your first client. And of course, all those startups back in the day had enormous budgets. So mm. it, it was obviously very appealing. And uh, so I did it. I, I, I said, okay, why not? And at that point, I had not, I, you know, I had maybe wanted to start a company, but certainly not at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I will say at that point, when I was on the fence about can I do it, my husband really mm-hmm. wanted me to do it because uh, at that point, I didn't know if I could have kids, and mm-hmm. I was really like, "What am I going to do with my life?" You know, to be in your 30s and mm-hmm. and not and go such you know such, such a different way was was really challenging for me. And and one of my girlfriends said to me, "You know what? You're doing what you know. You know, this PR is what you know. Like you can mm-hmm. do this in your sleep. You know." Mm-hmm. And I thought, "Yeah, you're right. Like, why not?" You know? So what was your first so, company? Was it a PR company then? Is that what you're yeah, saying? So, oh. Yeah. So I had a PR company and I, that's okay. Lisa Lori Communi- Communications was born. Oh, I see. And I, had, I started that company. And then as soon as I, you know, sort of put my shingle out and I got mm-hmm. the, you know, I had that first client that enabled me to buy, you know, the mm-hmm. Ikea furniture and <laughs> get the lo- loft downtown. Mm-hmm. And we were down on West Broadway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, um, I got other clients in New York, but then I also got a lot of referrals out in San Francisco because mm-hmm. people at that time were all asking. And, mm-hmm. you know, my husband at the time said to me, uh, my husband now, but at that time said to me, um, you know, just make sure that, you know, we don't know where the internet is going. And, you know, people were so, <laughs> sure. you know what I mean? Like, we were so I remember that. On those days. I remember when a lot of people bailed out of publishing to go get those jobs. Right. They got got, um, options and all this stuff. And all of us stuck back in the old businesses thought, oh crap, we've, we've missed the boat here. And then it exploded a couple of years later. And we're like all wiping our brows going, phew, thank God we didn't do that because everybody was out on the street and their options were worth nothing. And so I do remember that. Well, that's right. And some people wanted to pay in options. And we, we would say, no, oh. you know, my, my husband was always like, because my husband's in finance, luckily, and oh. he, he, was, he wouldn't let me take any clients with options. And because mm-hmm. and, he was more, more conservative than I was. But he, we both knew, like, I still had to pay the rent. I still had mm-hmm. to pay people's salaries. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like San Francisco where people were doing it out of their garage. You know, like, right. this was like real world uh, budgeting and yet 
you know, so we, so that's what we did. We only took people who would pay. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as a business model, we said, okay, we have to make sure that 50% of our business is um, sort of like concrete business, you know, traditional business. Mm -hmm. And then 50% was, you know, the internet and, Mm -hmm. and Silicon Valley type of things. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and 50%, the 50% that was the internet paid a lot more, but of course, Mm -hmm. Some of them flamed out and mm-hmm. left forever, you know, mm-hmm. whereas so when the market dipped, mm-hmm. I didn't have to lay off people, which most people did at that time, yeah. because I still had, I had, you okay. know, I had Sears, you know, I had, I had liquor companies. I had mm-hmm. big, big clients um, mm-hmm. that were stable at that time, which mm-hmm. interestingly enough, a lot of those bigger companies now mm-hmm. are struggling, but. Um, so I did that for, uh, 14 years. I had oh, that. Wow. PR business. wow. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. How did you end up and back so, in Greenwich then? Well, so my office was down on West Broadway. I had had my first son in New York city and I was pregnant. I, I had my first son and he was, and when, when it was nine 11, my first son was, um, not even a year old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were literally blocks from oh, the World Trade Towers. I mean, we uh, if you uh-huh. stand in the middle of West Broadway, uh-huh. or, or you stared right at the towers. Mm. So like everyone in New York at that time, it had a profound effect on us. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we lived in a high rise up on the west side. And I had a hard time getting to my son that day. And that really will freak mm-hmm. you out, you know. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and then what I always tell people about 9-11, I don't know if you feel this way, Leslie, but... Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just 9/11. It was the years after 9/11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bomb, bomb, mm-hmm. bombing threats and anthrax and yes, you know. I remember all of that. It was really stressful. I mean, my kids slept on my floor, both of them, for a year in my bedroom. Yeah, they were so afraid. And we're out in the suburbs, but it was it was quite stressful. I mean, I remember uh, a year after the Philharmonic used to do this thing in Central Park and they had like fireworks after and I thought we were getting bombed. I mean, I really thought the earth was under attack and and I was pregnant with my second son then and Mm -hmm. I just said to my husband, you know, I love this city and I I don't Mm -hmm. think to this day, I don't think I would have moved out, but I was like, Mm -hmm. this is just way too stressful for me. So... so then, you know, neither, my husband was uh, raised in Canada. He's Canadian, American mm-hmm. now. But uh, mm-hmm. so we literally drove around Connecticut one day mm-hmm. and was like, you know, this is a nice, looks, this looks pretty, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's what we did. And that's wow. what we did. And that's how you And then I had. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And now I've been here for 16 years. Oh, so. my God. And you opened the store right away? No. So I continued to have my PR business for a long time. And oh. then my boys were in middle school and I was going back and forth so much from the city. And then I just thought uncle and like, like a lot of moms, you know, every stage of your kid's life is different, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the newborn infant, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I found like when they got into middle school and they had like, you know, the project where they have to make a mm-hmm. bring a kimono in or whatever, mm-hmm. and I I'd get home at eleven, and my son would be like, "We need white sheets for oh, kimono." And, I you know, and, oh, <laughs> you know, and I thought, you know, Uncle, like mm-hmm. I just can't. You know, I don't think I, I think you can. My whole thing is you can do a lot, but you can't mm-hmm. do it all. 
you know, and uh, my career has always, I love my career and I love my Mm -hmm. children, but Mm -hmm. I will, I, I, my children will always come first. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I took some time and I thought about it and I was also close to turning, uh, 50 several years ago. I'm now going to turn 54. And I thought, you know, if I, if I want to do this, I should do it now. And so Mm -hmm. I decided to wind it down and I did, and I took a little time off. I did some writing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then I was spending a lot more time during the day in Greenwich. And I thought, you know, Mm -hmm. I really always wanted to open a store, but maybe it's too late. Maybe that Mm -hmm. ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't, you know, my family was very supportive and they were like, mom, you should go for it. Mm -hmm. And the more I kind of thought about it and researched it, I thought, okay, I'm going to go for it. You know, I'm turning 50. Mm -hmm. I'm not... I'm not dying, you know, mm-hmm, like I can, mm-hmm, there's still time left to mm-hmm, do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that was it. So I, I started a business plan. I literally worked on the development of the idea for over a year uh, mm-hmm. before we, we found a location and all mm-hmm, of that. I mean, mm-hmm. we put a lot of thought into it. It mm-hmm. wasn't just like, um, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to do this little side thing kind of mm-hmm. thing. It really, mm-hmm. I've always wanted it to matter. I've always mm-hmm. wanted it. Mm-hmm. I, I always said to everyone that we work with is, I don't want this just to be cool as a one-off. I want people mm-hmm. to, I want people in the retail business to say, wow, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people told us you're crazy to open a retail store now. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. retail is dying, you know, mm-hmm. but I say retail isn't dying. It's just, mm-hmm. what's the reinvention of it? You know, mm-hmm. like how does it look? And if you look at e-commerce sites, now they're opening retail stores. So there's, there's yes. a combination of yes. things yes. that are happening yes. in the market. It uh-huh. just doesn't look like it did 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And so what have been the challenges for you? What have, I mean, uh, you know, did it just, you opened it up and it just took off or, I mean, like we know that nothing is ever like that, even though it looks like that. And did you have to take a loan to do it or did you have enough money saved up that you could start the business yourself? Or did you have right. investors or? No. So we, we as a couple had saved money, you know, to mm-hmm. do it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always say, you know, some people might've, you know, whatever, bought a vacation home or done whatever, but we, uh-huh. you know, we opened uh-huh. a business. Um, okay. And so we, it, I, I did the same thing with my other business. You know, I, mm-hmm. it was totally self-funded and, mm-hmm. and it was solvent, you know, on its mm-hmm. own. I always mm-hmm. wanted the business to operate on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we did. And the challenges, you know, I had worked in retail and I had worked in marketing for a very mm-hmm. long time. So I had that expertise, but I had never been a buyer before. Mm-hmm. And we also have a restaurant. And so I had worked in restaurants, but I had never mm-hmm. owned a restaurant and never, mm-hmm. you know, done the day to day. And mm-hmm. so there, there, there was a learning curve, um, mm-hmm. a big one, but I knew that I knew. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the excitement of it, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't know how many size six shoes to buy for women. You know, I didn't yeah. know if they would wear long dresses or short dresses. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. know, uh, what it was like to run a kitchen, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you definitely make mistakes, but mm-hmm. if you, if you're, e- if you can push your ego out of the way and mm-hmm. something's not working and say, mm-hmm. 
okay, you know, you love shoes, but if they're not selling, then you got to get out of the shoe selling business, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so we've tried to, I mean, there, it's now been, the store has been open for two and a half years and Mm -hmm. there are things that we're doing now that I think, oh gosh, I wish we had done this a year and a half ago, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but you can't look back because that's part of, that's part of the learning curve, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're doing them now and that's kind of what matters, you know? So, so as, 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 we're, as we're rolling to the end of our little discussion here, um, if you're get, handing out wisdom to people who are listening, who are interested in doing the kind of thing that you've done. And I mean, it's a series of things you know, looking back, it probably looks like there was actually a plan, but of course there never right. is. Um, but right. it all kind of makes sense to me, at least hearing your whole trajectory and kind of um, your whole interest in learning and constantly changing. Do you have three tips or tricks or insights or books or podcasts um, that you would suggest that listeners go out and read or listen to or think about? that were helpful to you or what your learning was? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, in terms of my, my career or my trajectory was, um, you know, you, you obviously have to really learn to reinvent yourself because life, life will not go according to plan. Uh, Mm -hmm. We all, we all know that theoretically, Mm -hmm. but when it doesn't, can you pick yourself up and dust yourself off and start again? So for instance, when I got sick and my career path changed, mm-hmm. I, for, of course, was first upset. But then I bought a lot of books and I, you know, that were just self-help books, but one book in particular, and um, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know the exact name of it, but it was about the randomness of life. And mm-hmm. that if you believe that there are certain things that we have no control over, mm-hmm. then you can sort of let that go and then get on with it. And mm-hmm. And that's really what I tried to learn to do because then you stop feeling sorry for yourself. Mm-hmm. You stop saying, well, what if, what if, you mm-hmm. know, and then you say, okay, this happened. Mm-hmm. Now let's get on with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was really a turning point for me. And I've used that every single time I feel like I've had a setback. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I look around all the time and I see successful businesses and mm-hmm. I see people who have overcome enormous personal challenges and mm-hmm. there's no special sauce. You know, mm-hmm. of course, some people have more money or they have a better education or whatever. But what you really need is tenacity, right? You mm-hmm. really need to be that. That's what most successful people have in common is mm-hmm. that ability to say, OK, that didn't work. That sucked. Like, um, but I'm going to get back in there tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I'm like anyone else. I feel bad if we're not if something we try to do doesn't do well, but you know, I've got to be able to get up back up in the morning and go back at it. And Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people who get disappointed, so easily disappointed. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that comes from being part of a big Italian family. We're not, Mm -hmm. I'm one of eight children. My husband's one of eight children. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we weren't given, (laughs) we weren't afforded um, the ability to be spoiled. You know, we were, we all had to carry our weight. We all had to get on with it. And uh, we weren't, we weren't spoiled with affection in that, in that way. That was just sort of the way you were raised. And yet it was a very warm and loving environment. And Mm -hmm. so in that same way, I think you can get on with it, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you know, it's cliche, but I do what I love. No one has to, mm-hmm. no one has to 
twist my arm to read mm-hmm. about fashion or mm-hmm. to want to go to Paris or mm-hmm. any number of things. I absolutely love it every day, you know? So it does sound like a rough back. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many people would have to twist my arm to go to Paris. Either. Yeah. yeah. But you know, when I started out, I'm sure you too, Leslie, like I had friends who went into careers that they thought would make them a lot of money, you know, whether it was law or banking or whatever. But I got paid $18,000 at my first job. I could, I couldn't even pay the rent with one check. I had to wait till the second check came. And, and then when I was 28, they were like, well, how how can I do what you're doing? I'm like, are you crazy? You make, you know, 80,000 at that time, you know, or whatever. And I make 25, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but as it went on, I, my job just got better and better and Mm -hmm. they are, they wanted to exit. And so, and that, and Mm -hmm. to this day, I still have women my own age who always say to me, I really wish I could have, I could do what you're doing. And I always say, well, why not? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's just having the courage that Mm -hmm. maybe it won't work. I don't know, but, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe it will, Mm -hmm. you know, you won't know unless you try. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't, uh, the other thing is like, uh, you know, I get a lot of people saying to me, oh, how how are you going to scale it? How many stores Mm -hmm. are you going to have? Like Mm -hmm. everything in America has become about being the biggest and the best and whatever. Mm -hmm. What about just creating community and enjoying what you do? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I employ 20 people, you know, some Mm -hmm. part time, obviously. Um, But that's changing people's lives. It's giving them a job. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, having them part of a community, et cetera. And I take a lot of pride in that. And Mm -hmm. I take a lot of pride in my children seeing their mother, you know, bring an idea to life. Like that's Mm -hmm. huge for me. You know, I want them to know that, you know, their mom and their dad both work their tails off and and take a lot of pride in their job. So they, in turn, think, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And I think they see the possibilities of it. Yeah, I think we've gotten carried away. I have to say, I think that I'm glad you said that about, you know, 20 people um, entering this, coming um, to be an entrepreneur after being in these big, giant companies, and then this sort of crazy thing coming out of Silicon Valley. I mean, everything out of everybody's mouth is, well, you know, are you the next Google? It's like, no, there's only one Google and the next Google is Google. Right. So, like, but there's a bazillion other things that contribute to this planet, change people's lives, pay people. Why is it only, the, why are we valuing everything as against one item? I don't, it makes no sense to me. And they, no, they because- denigrate any kind of entrepreneur and any kind of entrepreneurial thing that we're doing today that is less than a unicorn as being worthless. I, don't, I think right. that's really that's screwed right. up. I mean, I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, you are contributing. This is what America was made out of. It was made out of small businesses right. that contribute, employ people for long term. Remember, a lot of these companies aren't, aren't even thinking long term. They're blowing these things up to sell them. Half of them don't make money. And, um, you know, and a lot of them pop after that, they're worthless and they go out of business. So I think the backbone of, of what we're trying to do is really changing people's lives and create businesses that actually last and have some sustainability. Well, yeah. And I make an effort to hire, you know, we have a, across, uh, many different demographics in my, in Mm -hmm, my staff mm -hmm, and we don't, mm -hmm. we don't see that, but 
Mm-hmm. We have, for instance, we've just hired a new um, sous chef who's a female, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's very hard for women in 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 the culinary world. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we when I hired when I hired her, I said, oh, we'd love to make you a permanent employee, and this is how it works, etc. And she's in her 30s. She has a child. She told me mm-hmm. this is the first time she's been offered a salary position. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I just it, it it I got choked up. She was so happy, and it's mm-hmm. it's because. You know, a lot of businesses, including the one that I used to be in, mm-hmm. can't accommodate families. You know, it's hard to be a mom and multitask and do all these other things. And yet, you know, and yet so they get pushed aside or they get told they're they're not doing, they're not working hard enough, you know, and that's just, that's just not right. So if we want to see that, if we want a better world in that way, we have to be part of it. You know, we have to take pride in just a honest day's work you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's no shame in that you know like mm-hmm. if anything mm-hmm. I know my customers I know my people who work for me you know mm-hmm. we're part of each other's lives mm-hmm. awesome Lisa thank you for all your insights so great to talk to you it is exactly <laughs> what I thought and I urge people who aren't aren't in the Greenwich area to make a voyage to Greenwich. And <laughs> or they can see. shop online. They can shop well, they can online. Shop online but really the store wonderful. You go in there, you feel so warm. You feel like it's your house. I feel like it's like my house. And yeah, um, yeah. you're kind of going from the the food to the clothing to the and it's just it's just a lovely I mean, I'm gonna call you the mini Colette. How's yeah, that? that's what I that's what I love. That's the best compliment of all. American Colette. Um, and, right. <laughs> yeah. So I hope everybody will come see you. And I want to thank you for your time and for all your honesty and for telling us about how you got perfect providence off the ground and um, the way that you look at business as being women friendly and mom friendly. That's really huge. So thank you. And th- thanks for all your support and supporting. Um, women because I I think all these things are so important is getting the word out. So thank you. Great. Thanks. Okay. I'll talk to you later. So thank you everybody for joining us in listening to the discussion of Lisa Laurie and her journey towards several reinventions. And if you like this podcast, I hope that you will subscribe. That way you'll be notified of all our new podcasts when we put them out. Generally, it turns out to be most Fridays. We let them we let them go. And if you have a subscription, you will get a notification from wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the podcast, please, please, please give us some stars and give us a rating. I know it's kind of a pain, but it would really help us because that's how we get more people to see the podcast and know that we're live and that we are actually out there trying to broadcast to all of you directly. And I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, there is much more talk about reinvention at coveyclub.com. I hope you will join us. There's a lot of opportunity to connect with other women just like you. And there's wonderful content there that's all original. It's all original reporting by some of the best writers in the world. 
And let us know if you know of anybody who we should be doing a podcast with. We are always looking for interesting reinvention stories. You can reach me. I'm the founder of both Reinvent Yourself and The Covey Club. And it's Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at CoveyClub.com. I hope you'll join us on our Facebook pages, in our LinkedIn, and wherever you can find us. Thank you. Take care and have a great day.